The heart of this series that we're completing this morning uh, kind of lies to me in, this, in the classic iceberg analogy. You know this iceberg analogy that the tip of the iceberg is as little as one-eighth of the whole thing. Have you heard about this before? You've probably seen pictures of it. And that exploring below the surface of what you can see of the iceberg, the surface of the water, reveals so much more. So the idea in this series has been, you know, you might be right about something, but you might still have more to learn. You might not fully understand it. And sometimes, you know, we've been joking a little bit about this all series long. Sometimes we misquote or misunderstand scripture, sure. But it's not the case all of the time. But I just always want you to remember, and this is why we have focused in on this In Context series, that there is always more below the surface. And to do the work of going below the surface because there is a depth and a richness to Scripture that you will be discovering for your whole life. And I hope that that, that it, it ignites your heart. I hope that when you see a verse or you hear a verse that you ask yourself, I wonder what the context of this is because there's probably so much for me to learn and to grow in here. When Rob and I got married, we'd known each other for about three years. Um, and we'd spent a lot of time together in those years. You know. You know what it's like when you fall in love and you just spend all your time with that person all the time. And so after those three years, I would say that I knew him very well. I hope so, because we got married and I took on his last name. So that was a good thing. And I, I knew him well enough, obviously, on our wedding day to be excited to commit to spending the rest of my life with, uh, to him. I knew him well enough to want to be the mother of his children, for him to be the father of mine. And well enough that, you know, even a few years later, if you know our adoption story, that we traveled to the other side of the world to make that a reality together. But as you married people will know and probably agree with me, what I knew about Rob on our wedding day in 2002 was just the tip of the iceberg. I knew, I didn't tell Rob I was going to say any of these things, so I hope I embarrass him a lot. Uh, I knew, <laughs> uh, I knew that Rob was a good drummer and a guitar player. I'd seen him play those instruments in college. I did not understand what kind of work and dedication he put into his music and how many hours and hours it took for him to continually improve and that he would do that for the rest of his life. I've watched that. I know that now because I've watched him do that for 21 years. Years. Do you want to know how many times he plays a song before you hear a song on a Sunday morning? A lot of times. <laughs> a lot of times. <laughs> I knew that my husband had good instincts about people and situations. He, he has just what he'll say, well, this is what my gut says or whatever. But what I didn't know, I knew that about him, but what I didn't know and I've learned is that he's naturally gifted at really seeing things for what they are, and he has a real prophetic gifting in his life. I learned that over 21 years. I knew that Rob was quiet. I mean, wouldn't he need to be being married to me? Like, you can't both be talking all the time. I knew that he was quiet, uh, but I didn't know that his, his quiet demeanor gave him the ability to see and respond to the needs of the quietest person in the room or to have a heart for the underdog, or the person who is difficult or invisible to the rest of the group. I, I learned that by watching him over all of these years. And the scriptures that we've been talking about feel a lot like that to me. The verses that we quote, and we've been sort of joking, we started this series by, like, you know, what are the, what's the plaque, the scripture plaque that you have in your house? 
We quote these verses so freely and they're amazing, but, but just like how you get to know somebody over time, you, you, what you know about them is correct, but there's a depth to it that you learn as you get to know the person. I think this is true in these verses as well. They're, what we know about them is true, but there is so much beauty and depth and transformation as we explore it deeper. And I think that that might be truest of today's verse more than maybe any of the others that we've covered in this month in the In Context series. It's this one. Here it is in the NIV. I can do all things through him who gives me strength. Philippians 4.13. Anybody already have that one memorized? Anybody have that on a plaque or a, like something written on their ho- in their home? Anybody? Anybody? No, you wouldn't even admit it now if you, if you did. You'd be like, that's not me. I am learning it in context, pastor, so I don't have that. No. Uh, the the uh, English Standard Version, the ESV says, I can do all things through him who strengthens me. The King James says, I can do all things through Christ which strengtheneth me. I said, is that a typo? No, that's correct. Strengtheneth me. So if you're like me, uh, you quote this verse in this way. You usually say, I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength, right? That's probably what you say, which is actually a combination of all of those versions together. Did you know that? That's okay. I mean, just the easiest way to say it, but we'll allow, so we'll allow it. And I love this verse because below the surface of this excellent truth that we, that we hear just in that, the 13th verse, I believe there's something actually more practical and more profound than the verse on its own. Because if you only read verse 13 in Philippians chapter 4, you might think that this is a version of the American dream. You can do anything you put your mind to, and Jesus is going to help you. And that's kind of how it reads on its own if you're not cautious. But the truth is, you can't. I'm sorry. Did you? I know you probably, your parents told you that. You could be anything you want to be when you were growing up. And I love that. I love that you were taught that. That's a lie. Okay, you can't. Because I, I don't know if you know this. Um, this is not really a, very true in my 40s, but um, I love sports. Like, I grew up playing sports. We had a very sports-centered home. Um, I played, I know, this is going to shock you. If you've stood next to me, you might not be able to tell how tall I am. I'm five foot two. Um, I played basketball on my high school team. What? Yeah, I was really fast, okay? So don't worry about it, okay? So um, I, love, I love sports. Uh, I love basketball especially, but it doesn't matter how much I practice, I will never qualify for the WNBA. I don't care how good my jump shot is, I will never qualify. I am five foot two. There is no chance in any part of my life I ever would have qualified to play professional basketball. I, in fact, will not ever be able to reach the top shelf of the grocery store, okay? I can't do that either in my life. I don't care how much I pray about it, how much I trust Jesus for it. I can't do it. And if you're taller than me, which you probably are, this is the cute thing. When the kids in the church get, like, start getting really tall, and they're like, Pastor Tracy, we're, like, we're, like, taller than you. And I'm like, cute. Aim higher. Like, it's not, it's not super difficult to achieve, okay? But I love that. You think that that's fun. Uh, I seriously, like, I can't, I can't even reach the top shelf of the grocery store. There are just some things in my life I literally cannot do, okay? That's just reality. So I want to just take that idea and remember that you, you literally can't just do anything and assume that Jesus is going to help you with it. 
That's not the context. Let's grab the context of this verse and then dive below the surface. And I hope actually, in fact, I know that sounds negative, but um, I hope you're going to find it as encouraging as I do. So Philippians chapter 4, go ahead and you can turn there. Paul is writing a letter to the church in Philippi. So that's why the, the letter is called Philippians. And he, is, uh, he has spoken to them. It's a beautiful letter. He has spoken directly to the things that they need for their strength and their encouragement and their correction. And now he's closing up his letter with uh, some church life business items, in a way, okay? And so we are going to uh, read in context this same verse, but we're going to read from, you'll see probably if you're reading in NIV with me, uh, that it's a section together called Thanks for Their Gifts. Philippians chapter 4. If you're new with us, just to let you know, in the YouVersion Bible app, you can go download it, go to more, then go to events, and this is already loaded up there for you. You can follow along like that as well. Verse 10, Philippians 4 says this. I rejoice greatly in the Lord that at last you renewed your concern for me. Indeed, you were concerned, but you had no opportunity to show it. I'm not saying this because I am in need, for I have learned to be content whatever the circumstances. I know what it is to be in need. I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. I can do all this through him who gives me strength. Yet it was good of you to share in my troubles. Moreover, as you Philippians know, in the early days of your acquaintance with the gospel, when I set out from Macedonia, not one church shared with me in the matter of giving and receiving, except you only. For even when I was in Thessalonica, you sent me aid more than once when I was in need. Not that I desire your gifts. What I desire is that more be credited to your account. I have received full payment and have more than enough. I am amply supplied now that I have received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent. They are a fragrant offering and an acceptable sacrifice pleasing to God. And my God will meet all your needs according to the riches of his glory in Christ Jesus. To our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. In context. So the Philippians had sent Paul some financial support in the past, and they were doing so again. Hopefully you understood that that was what he was saying to them. And for some reason that's not stated here, they had been prevented from sending any support kind of in the intermittent time. But now for whatever other reason, they were free to send those financial gifts again. So Paul wants to thank them, but he also wants to assure them that he's not trying to swindle money from them. Like you could hear, can you hear his, his checks and balances? Like he's really being cautious here. He's being cautious in his thanks to them. He needs to make sure that they know that he's not motivated by their support. He has what he needs from God. But he is also grateful to them for sending their support. Right? Can you hear all of that in there? He's trying to strike that fine balance. He's grateful, and he also knows that ultimately it's God who takes care of him. He's grateful. He also knows it's not to him, but it's actually to God that they are giving. And that they are making deposits in their heavenly accounts through their generosity. So he wants to just make that really clear here. And as he's thanking them, he teaches them how he's able to strike that balance. Where he can, he can both be grateful for what they've sent, but also understand that they're giving to God and not really to him. He says this, he says, I have learned to be content. He knows that whether he receives from them or he doesn't receive from them, he's going to be okay. He has solved his economic problems. How? 
not with new resources, but with a new attitude. He is content no matter what his circumstance. In fact, this is what he says in verse 12b, I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation. That's a big statement. It does not matter what happens to me. I am okay. Contentment here is a term that commentators uh, think was probably a word taken from the culture of that day because you don't see it a lot of other places in scripture. Uh, The Stoic philosophers of his time used to describe an inner spirit of freedom and discipline, that ability to uh, conquer circumstances and situations rather than be conquered by them as contentment. was That's the, the root of that same word. And it's sort of like the opposite of worry and anxiety. There's are, there's are people who, if you are content, you are not anxious, you are not worried. And it's related to the Greek word for self-sufficiency. So there's this idea that I can be okay. I can make this work. I can white-knuckle my way through, and I'm going to make something of myself. I'm going to make this work. I'm going to, I'm going to you know, just do the thing. And so the culture here is saying, I will learn to be content by a deliberate act of my own will. And Paul is using this word and turning it on his head, and he's saying, I can do all things through Christ who fills me with his strength. So he takes that word content and he just points it to Jesus. He's like, this is a gift from God. Contentment is a gift from God. Everything I need is a gift from God. It's not by my own human achievement. That's going to fall short. And what the Philippians had given to Paul, whatever that was, whatever that financial support was, uh, it had been a, obviously been a source of joy and encouragement to him. But but uh, he, he wasn't relying on them. Like, what do I do? If the Philippians don't come through for me here, what am I going to do? And also, nor when he was writing this letter, was he asking, he's like, thanks for the gift. While you're at it, send me more. Like, that wasn't what he was saying either. He could honestly say that he knew that Jesus would not fail him in, to give him what he needed, to strengthen him in every single situation that he faced. And Paul obviously appreciated the kindness of the Philippians because they showed such beautiful practical support to his troubles. And if you know Paul's story at all, uh, you can read a little bit about what he went through kind of in a synopsis in 2 Corinthians chapter 11. Like, he went through a lot. Like, he, he had a lot. Like, you think you have troubles. I have never been flogged, let alone multiple times, or shipwrecked, or bitten by a snake, or like whatever. He had so many things that he went through. But the Philippians showed such beautiful practical support in the middle of all of those troubles, which was great. But he knew that ultimately their gift wasn't directly from the Philippians to Paul. It was from the Philippians to God who used it to provide for Paul. So because everything he needed came from God, he was going to be good no matter what the Philippians did. So there's a lot packed into these 10 verses. There's a, that punchy verse 13 that we started with, of course, tucked right into the middle of it. But we see, first of all, there's that, that need to, for contentment in Christ, no matter what the circumstances. We see, secondly, there's a realization that the Lord is the source of a believer's strength. Thirdly, there's a blessing available when you are supporting ministries that are going on. And, and fourthly, there's this promise that God will meet the needs of those who even give sacrificially like the Philippians did. And so, I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength isn't about climbing a mountain. It's not about fulfilling a dream. It's about being truly content, at peace 
without worry, without anxiety, in every situation you find yourself in. And I want you to notice something else in this passage too. Paul is not saying simply, like we often hear this and think, when you're in a bad situation, you can trust Jesus to meet your need. I mean, that, which is true, but that's not all he says here. He's not saying he, he can just rely on Christ when he's faced with some kind of a, a, like a big need. He is equally saying that he can rely on Jesus when he's comfortable. When he has plenty. When he has no practical needs. Even then, he can rely on Jesus. Is that an odd thing to say? I think you know as well as I do that when you are comfortable, how easy it is to forget that still all of your provision is from Jesus. That everything you have is coming from God. And he's like, honestly, this can be harder. And Paul says, even when I have everything I need, even when I have more than I need, I'm still okay because I still am remembering to be content in whatever I receive from the Lord. Maybe you are in a situation in your life where you feel like, if I can just get through this, then I know I'll be okay. I'll be content. Everything, I'll be at peace. I won't have to worry anymore. You know this famous, uh, I don't even know if he actually said it, but it's so famous, I'll just, it, it helps us. But Rockefeller was supposedly asked, how much money is enough money? Have you heard this one? And his response was, just a little bit more. When I just get to this stage, when I just reach this, when this crisis is over, then I will be okay. And, and Paul's teaching to the Philippians here, and of course to us today through the Spirit, is to say, no, no, you can be content right now. Like right now. There's one more thing to note here that's maybe not the main thrust of this passage, but I just I thought was interesting. It's interesting how the relationship between being content is set up in a conversation here about being instrumental in providing for someone else's needs. Trusting God for everything you need is also a way that God uses to provide for other people's needs. In other words, it's like this, this thought process is sort of like, I am content in what I have. I know who provides for me. Therefore, I can be generous with everything that I have. It's not explicitly said in this passage, but it's certainly set up in that same context, and it struck me as I was reading it. Paul says that the Philippians' tangible help demonstrates their commitment to partner with him in the, in the work of sharing the gospel. It shows that they are maturing in their faith. It shows that they are storing up treasure where it really matters. Remember what Jesus said about storing up treasure in heaven. He says, this is what you're doing. You're, you're, you're literally putting deposits in that account. So in the middle of all of that, I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. I can trust him when I'm in desperate need. I can surrender everything to him when I have more than I need. I can generously provide for others without worry or fear. Sometimes we do have enough and more than enough, but it's really hard for us to be generous because maybe we've known a time when we didn't have enough. I mean, this was what Paul had. He had times when he, he was hungry. And there are times when he's well-fed. And when he's well-fed, don't you think his mind says, I better just tuck away a little bit for later because I, I don't want to be hungry again. 
But he says, no, I'm okay. I, I, I'm going to trust God for everything I need. And if I, have, if I have plenty, if I have enough, I am totally willing to be generous with that because I don't have to try to control this and take care of it myself. I see this passage applied in two major areas of our lives, though, of course, you can apply this idea of contentedness across so many uh, spheres. So I'll allow the Spirit to speak to you about that. But two, two really obvious ones here. The first one we'll start with is probably the most obvious, and that's finances, right? We have been trained to think that we never have enough. Being content just as we are is really quite a foreign concept. And I can tell you all day long that you are among the richest people in the whole world. But if your context and and the messaging you receive every day tells you the opposite, you're going to struggle with this fact. We don't need one more thing from Amazon. Mm. (laughs) But there's such a cute thing at Amazon, right? I don't know what's in your Amazon cart right now. Maybe you do what our family does. It's like we put stuff in the cart, then we go, save for later. Maybe save for later, but it's still there. It's still there. I don't need one more thing from Amazon. I don't need one more pair of shoes. I don't need one more piece of furniture, whatever it is. Just saying, like, no, I'm good. Like, I'm good. And listen, this idea of, of never being satisfied, I'm not even laying the blame entirely on us, though it's, it's up to us, of course, what we do with that information, but... I was looking up some statistics to see what kind of advertising is happening in our lives. This is a bit of an, a couple years old already. But best guesses are that we are advertised to up to 10,000 times every day. Every day. Like every day, up to 10,000 times, you're being shown everything that you have to have everything that will make your life better, everything that you could not possibly live without. This is the messaging that you are inundated with, and we're so used to it. We don't think much about it, but it's true. And Scripture here challenges us, challenges us to ask, have I ever just said, nope, I'm good. Just in my bones, I am good. As my grandpa used to say all the time, if you'd ask him like after dinner, hey, grandpa, would you like, a, would you like another cup of coffee? He would say, No, I am in need of nothing. I am in need of nothing. Have you ever just felt like that? Maybe you live your life in that space, and I love that for you. I'm just saying that for most people, and certainly for Paul and the Philippians, there's a reason that this teaching is in Scripture for us, that this is a difficult concept, contentedness. I'm okay with what I have. I am fine. I know who my provider is. The other challenge in our finances is um, sometimes when we do struggle. We do struggle. I know that we um, have everything. We have lots of social safety nets and stuff by living in Canada. It's such a great country that way. But um, there are times when financially we do struggle. I'm sure all of us have met with that or are in it right now. And the, the trouble is we also have a safety net called credit that you might be familiar with in your life. And we've gotten ourselves into a lot of trouble in this area because I know that Rob and I did this, especially um, in our early years of marriage. We believed that there were things that we needed. And the only way to get the things that we needed was to buy them on credit. And that didn't turn out so great because we have to pay the price for that. If, if this wasn't true, that we uh, live on credit way too much, then 
Joel and Caitlin's financial peace class would be empty all the time. But instead, um, they, there's so many people who say, yeah, like we just, we just found ourselves in this place where we need, we need help getting out again. This is such a common story. It doesn't matter whether you're in the church or out of the church. This is such a common story. We get ourselves into a lot of trouble with this. The trap of being discontent is so easy to fall into, and the consequences can be really serious for your family, for your life. The solution to um, us being self-sufficient and doing it on our own and, and being shackled by credit or whatever it looks like for you, the solution to discontent is to literally just simply trust God. When we know that we can do all things through the strength that he gives us, we can be content with what we have and we can live generously and or know that he's going to provide for every need. And I don't know about you, friends, but I feel the challenge of that. I feel the challenge of that. I feel the pull of all of the things that I don't have in my life or all of the, the financial goals that I, I want to achieve or all of the things. But in this moment right now, do I trust God to provide for everything that I need for myself, for my family? I feel that challenge. But it's not just about money and stuff and all of the stuff we're advertised uh, to is about, is it? The context here also points out uh, relationships. Paul, you can hear it in his opening statement, I think. Maybe I'm reading too much between the lines, but I feel like it's right there. Paul is tempted to look to others as his source, other people as his sufficiency. I wonder what he was thinking when the Philippians seemed to be like totally on his team. They, were, they had his back. They were sending him support. And then nothing, for, uh, obviously for some period of time. And he's very grateful because, of course, that he figures out, I don't know what happened. I don't know what happened in the interim, but we, we don't have that. But Paul says, like, you were prevented from it, but now you weren't prevented from it. And you can sort of hear in his voice that he must have wondered why. It's not like they could send him an email and be like, sorry, having a little bit of trouble over here. It was obviously a dangerous time. And, and if you were sending an offering to somebody, somebody would physically have to take it down a dangerous road, pray for protection that it would get there. And there was a, there was a lot of reasons that it would be very, very difficult to actually send physical gifts and these like financial support to somebody else because it was a physical, tangible thing. So who knows what he was thinking when the Philippians suddenly stopped supporting him. He had no idea why or where they went. Honestly, I wouldn't be surprised. I know in, if it brought up a lot of insecurity in him, because I think it probably would in me. Don't they like him anymore? Did he offend them? Did he say too much? Did he do something? Did he not do something? He preached some hard messages. Did he, did he, was, it just, was it too much? Did he overstep? But in the end, he realizes, even that, Jesus must be all. His strength doesn't come from others. It had to be found first and foremost in Christ. He couldn't look to them to be his sufficiency, whether financially or in, in relationships. In all things, he needed Christ to be his strength. In all things. It's, a, it's such a beautiful thing to be loved and encouraged by others. I hope we do that more and more and more in our, in our faith. 
with the people around us that we find, we just find all kinds of reasons to love others and encourage them. We're, we're in the church, we're called to do that, of course, but we do miss something if, if that's what we're relying on. Because when we fail, when relationships are broken, the question is, because we will, and they will be, because that's, that's part of our human experience, can we be content with Jesus? What if somebody you love and trust breaks your trust? What do you do then? Is Jesus enough? Even as you trust Jesus to heal a relationship or to walk you through forgiveness or to do whatever needs to be done in that human relationship, can he in those moments still be enough? Is it enough for you that you are loved by and seen by Jesus even when the people around you maybe don't or you don't sense that from them? When people around you miss it, when they don't see what's really going on in your life, are you able to go to Jesus and find security and find rest in him? To be content in all things. And scripture would tell you, friends, that you can do all this through him who gives you strength. So I want to invite you to go ahead and check your contentedness this morning. It's going to look different in different people's lives. I I respect that. For some of us, we are chasing something. Maybe in in the financial sphere, you are chasing something, and it's time for you to be content. Not that God's never going to provide that for you or whatever, but you can see in your life that you will do anything to reach a certain level, or you think that if I just have a little bit more, then I'm going to feel okay, and it's going to be okay, and it's time for you to check your contentedness. For some of you, you have been running around looking to everyone but Jesus to affirm you as a person, to tell you that you're okay, to tell you that you're good enough, to tell you that you're, you know, whatever, that your security and your identity is found by what other people are saying to you. And I have to tell you, it will never be found there. So I'm going to invite you this morning to check your contentedness. What if it was just Jesus and everybody else was the worst? I don't know. I hope that's not true in your life. Everybody around you is the worst for some reason or another, but you can hear the voice of Jesus through the word and through the working of the Holy Spirit, and he says, I see you, and I love you, and I have provided for you, and I'm with you. Is it enough? Oof, that's, mm, that's a journey I've been on. And can I tell you something about that journey for me? He meets me every time. And also Dave. He's met me and Dave every time. <laughs> Thank you, Jesus. I hope I, 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 I'm not, you are not you are not required to to stand up and shout or do anything like that. But I hope that you hear what I'm saying to you today. That if if there is any sense in your life that you have a lack, any place in your life where you are just discontent, 
Any place in your life where you are striving or you are looking for affirmation or you're looking for more and nothing seems to be quite enough for you and you are anxious and you are restless and you are worried or whatever that looks like for you, can I just tell you that Philippians 4.13 says that you can do all this through Christ who gives you strength. That, that, that's what this verse means, that he will strengthen you in every moment to be content and find your sufficiency in him, to find your identity in him, to find your provision in him, and to be okay every single day with whatever comes your way. Didn't mean to rhyme it, but I loved it. It felt good. It felt good. In the, it felt good. That's what the scripture would say. I, was, uh, I don't know what is happening in our church right now. Uh, Matt, you can come with the team. And you can do that song or anything else. You just however, like, whatever. Uh, but we, I don't know if it's just me and Matt, actually. We're just getting super old, and so we keep singing old songs. Like, you were throwing back, you were throwing back this morning, like, you were worthy of my praise. Like, that's old school. Um, and I got to tell you, I, as I, I'm writing a message like this, I don't, know what's, I don't know what's in my spirit, but I can't help it. I can't help but be looking at this and thinking, like, he is all I need. You're just going to age yourself if you sing this with me. He is all I need. Jesus is all I need. He is all I need. He is all I need. the simplicity of that prayer in your everyday life. I don't even think you can find that song on YouTube. Like, I don't know, but... I just know I heard my parents singing it growing up. That's what this verse means. You can do all things. You can be content in every situation because it's Jesus who strengthens you to do that. And he will provide for everything for you. In fact, this is what Paul says to the Philippians at the end of his letter here. Not quite at the end, but we're almost there. When he says, God will meet all your needs according to the riches of his glory. How? In Christ Jesus. We're just going to allow the Holy Spirit to speak to us this morning just as we close with some worship here. And just let that kind of sit. Because I just believe that sometimes we rush from thing to thing to thing. Maybe you don't. Maybe you're really chill. I rush from thing to thing to thing. And I uh, just want to allow him, if you, would, if you would pray this prayer with me, the Holy Spirit, show me where I don't trust you. Show me points of discontent in my life that I could lay at your feet this morning. Show me the things in my life that I am not content with, but because I don't trust you, I just, I need you to show me. The world tells me so many different, it's a very different message from everything else I see. So I just need you, Holy Spirit, to speak directly to me about my life and my situation and my family and my job and my finances, my relationships. I need you to show me the thing that I can't see. 
help me, Lord, to do that. Help me to know. Help me to find my security in you. And can I tell you, as, even as we begin to pray that, I want to explain in a very practical way what this might look like in your life. If you want Jesus to be the center, if you want to find your strength in him, and that sounds like a very like out there sort of concept, let me just tell you the practical steps to do it. The first one is this prayer we're going to pray. To be able to identify the, the places and the ways and the means that we are trying to be sufficient on our own. To really see what those are. And the second thing to do is just to simply say, I see that. I have been looking for this person to validate me. And I'm going to stop doing that and say, Jesus, what do you say about me? That's a really simple step. Literally just changing your thinking, being transformed by the renewing of your mind by what scripture says. I have a temptation in my life. There's something, there's a project I want to do. There's something I want to purchase. There's, there's some kind of a financial thing that's coming up. And I, I don't have the money for it, but I really want to do it. Or I really think it could be important to do. And I just don't know what to do about that. But, but as, I, as I'm identifying, there's a discontent for some reason. I can say, Holy Spirit, show it to me. I am not going to move forward with these decisions unless you have provided for them for me. Ooh, that's hard. I know that's hard. I'm going to trust you with everything that I actually need, and I'm going to trust that you're going to show me the difference between what I want and what I need. It really is that practical, just that, that process that, that takes you through the word, surrendering those things to the Lord and then trusting him to meet you in every situation. Trusting him to meet you. Let's stand together. Let's pray, let's pray that prayer that I already sort of prayed over us, even as Matt leads us, and invite the Holy Spirit to speak to those things specifically, and we can surrender them even in these moments.